This morning, congregation, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. We'll be reading uh, the 19 verses there. Genesis chapter 18, the first 19 verses. As you turn there, I want to remind you of two passages in the Bible that help give context to what we're going to be reading. The first comes from the earlier chapter in Genesis. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to alert you to a very familiar passage, Genesis 3.15, where after the human fall into sin, God gives this promise, and I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring or seed and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Words spoken to the serpent that the seed of the woman is coming. And that seed, Paul tells us in Galatians 3, is finally not just bloodlines of Abraham, but the seed, which is Christ the Lord. He's the one who will finally crush the serpent's head, even as the serpent would bruise the heel of the woman. And the woman is the church. And the next passage I alert you to, if that comes from the first book of the Bible, the next passage comes from the last book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 12, John is given a vision of, well, I'm going to read some of it. I'm not going to read all of it. But he's given a vision of what Old Testament history under the coming of Jesus looks like in symbolic language. It's a picture of a woman about to give birth. And a dragon is there to devour her child. So there's a woman, there's a child, and there's one who would devour the child, which is the dragon or the serpent, Satan. The woman is the Old Testament church. The child is the Christ. And the dragon is Satan who would destroy that child. And of course, you know the gospel story, right? And indeed, how upon Jesus' birth, uh, how Herod would destroy uh, all the the little boys because of the threat of a king to his throne and so forth. Well, this is, in Revelation 12, something of a picture, but Satan didn't only try to stop the coming of Christ with the Virgin Mary and the birth of Jesus. He sought to stop the coming of Christ throughout the whole history of God's uh, covenant people. And that's why we're going to look at Genesis 18, these words. But first I have to get back to them. Genesis 18, God had made a great promise to Abraham that out of him he would build a nation and many years had passed, many, some 25 years, no fulfillment, no answer. And now God comes very personally to give reassurance, these words. 
The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me give you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham, Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, Get three seahs of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master's old, will I now have this pleasure then the Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at this appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Thus our reading from God's holy word, and may he bless that holy word to us. Dear congregation, it was very deliberate in introducing you, reminding you of those two passages, because if you want to understand the Old Testament, it's not simply a collection of stories in which we say, oh, here's the good guy, here's the bad guy, here's a good way to live, here's a bad way to live, here's the naughty people, here's the righteous people. Now let's try to be like the good people and not like the naughty people. That might be the way you introduce children to Sunday school lessons, but that's not really how we're supposed to understand what's going on in the Old Testament. It's not just a collection of moral stories. There's morality in it, and there's moralisms to be had, and there's good examples and bad examples to be sure, but there's a lot more at stake 
than some examples. Because God is in a fight for kingdom of God. God is embarked upon a path to bring kingdom come. And God will be glorified through the seed of the woman that he promises, even as it faces opposition from the seed of the devil. That's a story that's going on in the Old Testament. It's a battle of kingdoms. It's a battle for the Christ to come. It's a battle for salvation to arrive. It's a battle in which all the nations of the earth have a stake. Well, why even bother with that promise? Is, is God, does God speak in vain? And I will put enmity, yeah, so what? Is that what we're supposed to do to God's word? Yeah, so what? I don't want to pay attention to that part. This is the so what. So what does God do? He lets the world go its sinful way and it gets so bad he destroys it with a flood. It's such a mess out of the earth, he chooses one family and preserves a line of faith. How big's the church? Noah and his little crop of children. That's it. How's the church doing on planet earth? It's saved, floating on a boat. That's how it's going. And then what comes of that? Only the line of Shem, finally. And what comes of that? Uh, more evil mounting itself, rallying itself to build a tower. We'll reach God and we'll glorify ourselves. A world united in rebellion. And so God scatters the nations. How is it going on planet Earth? And what does God do? It looks like the church is virtually wiped out. It looks like seed of the serpent is bashing the head instead of seed of the woman. That's what it looks like. It looks like Satan's winning. So what does God do? He starts from scratch, virtually. He calls Abram. He's not an Abraham yet. He's just Abram yet. He calls Abram from Ur of the Chaldees. From where to what, huh? He calls a man who's nobody from nowhere. Starts from scratch. And says, from you I will build a nation. Now go where I tell you. But I haven't told you. You just go. You just follow. And from you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'll make you a great nation. So Abram picks up everything and embarks, doesn't know where he's going. You say, man, it sounds like this would take some faith. You think so? You're a 75-year-old guy? Are you ready? Are you ready? Your wife's 65. Is she ready? She's never given birth, never had any children. Does that look like it's in the cards? Are you hopeful? And yet they trusted God. God said, God will do, let's go. And you know there are many adventures where, uh, with many trials. And the years roll by and still no child. 
I mean, how are you going to build a nation out of my seed if I don't even have seed? How's that supposed to work? You know, you need to have babies in order that they grow up and have babies and they grow up and have babies. That's how that works. We all know that. No baby. No fulfillment of promise. God comes along through the years. In fact, in Genesis 15, he comes to Abram and says, I'm your shield, I'm your great reward, I'm your help. He even has, uh, even has that mystical experience with, you know, tells him to split all the animal carcasses in half and put one on one side and the other side, and then God appears in this, in this smoking pot. That's God's symbolic way, and the smoking pot takes a path through the slaughtered animals divided on the left and the right. And this is a, for us it's all odd, but for that ancient culture, you know how, you know how faithful I'm going to be? Let God be dead. Let God be split in half like slaughtered animals. If I don't keep my promise to you. We sign contracts. We have it notarized. That's how we say, my word's good, you can sue me, take me to court. In that culture, you can slay me. You can split me in half if I don't keep my word. Time ticks along, still no baby. Sorry, still no baby, still no promise. I got an idea, says Sarah. I know this is a little odd, but Abraham's game, I'm game. God needs a little help. I have this this handmaid, this servant of mine, Hagar. We'll introduce her to the tent, and she can, you know, and she can have the baby on my behalf, a kind of surrogacy in the Old Testament style. There. And so... Ishmael's born. There, how about that? And years roll by, he comes to about age 13. Sarah's still no baby. Well, I guess this is the way God's promise comes about. You know, we help God out. But God appears to Abraham in Genesis 17. Hey, look at the sky, yeah? Can you count the stars? well, that would be a little bit futile to try. How about the dust of the earth? Can you count dust? No. How about sand in the seashore? Can you do that one? No. So shall your descendants be, says God. Believe it. The years roll by, and now he's a 100-year-old man, 90-year-old barren woman. Nothing. Nothing. How long have you been praying for something for 25 years? I've been praying for some things for 10, 15 maybe. It's not 25 yet. Do we trust God? God knows that Abraham... Of course, meanwhile, Abraham is like, Oh, let it be Ishmael. Let it be Ishmael. No, 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 no. It... it, I love my son Ishmael. Let it be Ishmael. No. It will be according to the promise, the seed through, the promised seed through Sarah. 
That brings us to 18. Because God is going to make this happen around the corner. And there the Lord appears to him. The Lord, notice the cap letters there. The Lord with the capital letters. That means Yahweh. Jehovah in the old translation. The covenant name of God. The covenant God comes. Well, but it's these three guys. Right. God is coming in this special way, this manifestation through these angels, these men, appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, desert setting, you know, it gets hot out there, need some shade, well, there's these big oak trees at Mamre, now, here's a nice place to camp, here you find the church of God on earth, all of two, what a big congregation we got going here. Abraham and Sarah. In fact, he had renamed him Abraham. That you are, as in have been. It's past tense. The father of many nations. What? God is saying it's so short. You're not Abram anymore. You're Abraham. You are the father of many nations. It's a done deal. And yet it's not done. It's not visible. It's not tangible. I can't see that it's so. And so he comes now this time in the flesh through these angels. But it's Jehovah God speaking. And Abraham sees them. And Abraham understands immediately that this is from God. He bows low to the ground. If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. And so he wants to play host, and he brings water, and they washes their feet, you know, dye, dusty climate, just sandy, sand between your toes, you're hot, you cool the feet, you wash, ah, oh, you feel so much better. Good, good Near Eastern desert hospitality going on here, and he wants to serve them this big meal, and so he tells his wife, quick. Get three sias of fine flour, knead it. That's about five gallons of flour. This isn't, you know, a pot roast in a dozen rolls. <laughs> this, is, this is a big Thanksgiving feast for 20, 30 people, but there's only three of them here. Big, big festivity. Choice calf. He fixes the whole thing, curds and so forth. He puts on this lavish, uh, in ancient style, this lavish meal for them. And he's standing there as host by the tent. Sarah's there inside the tent. Where's the wife? Oh, she's in the tent. And now comes those crucial words. Then the Lord, again, the capped letters, the covenant God, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Except Sarah's listening at the entrance. And they're old. And this is ridiculous. It's even kind of embarrassing. I mean, we know basic biology, right? Come on, my husband, <laughs> and, and I've never had children at all. 
and as a 90-year-old, don't be, and she laughed at God's word. Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she was afraid she lied and said, I didn't. Yes, you did laugh. Is anything too hard for God? It's a question for us. This hard path to the coming of the Christ meets unholy laughter from the church. A laughing in God's face at his promises. A laughing in God's face that things aren't possible. A laughing in God's face that by appearances it's not, it can't be done. You know, it's not how life works. And besides, we've waited and we've waited and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've struggled and we've waited and no answer and no answer and no answer and no answer. Maybe their prayers had already become a kind of laughter. But you know, if you go back a chapter, Abraham had laughed first. Surely I'm going to make, uh, and he laughs. Oh, yeah. You know, we do that, right? I, I, a husband who's always promising to be on time, and he's usually not. And so he promises to his wife, I promise to be on time. <laughs> and she laughs because she just knows it's ridiculous. To, she knows. You're not reliable. And so your words are laughable. And that's how they're treating God. That's why she lies. Because her laughter wasn't the laughter of a faithful, yes, how swell, but oh, how ridiculous. Is anything too hard for God? It's important we ask ourselves those kinds of questions because we face all kinds of issues similar, no doubt, as Sarah laughs. There's the dragon in the back. Because Abraham and Sarah are the woman, you see. And the promised seed is the seed that the woman continues to bring. The seed that the woman comes to bring. The seed that the woman comes to finally bring. The seed that is Christ the Lord. But there's the serpent to crush God's promises. To crush God's promises in our hearts and in our heads. To crush God's promises so we don't trust God, desire God. I can't rely on God. You can't rely on God. Has God said? Remember that one. Has God said? Is God true? Is God good? Is God faithful to you? How long you've been praying that prayer? Get off. Enough already. But if we're praying God's will, God's way, God's truth, we should never doubt God. But the devil, that's where he wants us. 
He wants us to doubt that God is good. He tells us, oh, what are his promises? I will be your God and you will be my people, right? But look at all the roadblocks in your life. Look at all the struggles you have. It seems like God's against you, not for you. It seems like people who don't know God, don't love God, their life seems cozier and seems to coast better than yours. In fact, their life seems to be on cruise control. That, that, that awful guy at work gets the promotion. You're the guy there on time and polite to everyone and does his job and keeps his mouth shut and you, you're bypassed. What is God doing? Is God against me? I nurture my children in the faith and some of them, or you see grandchildren nurtured in the faith, and some of them don't walk faithfully. And these other people seem to flourish, and they don't love God at all. What is God doing? Is God good? Do I keep praying and pray almost with a laughter under my breath? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what use it will do. And it's not so far away from us, is it? The promise is to you and your children after you, but some of those children go astray and live like prodigals. Some of those grandchildren don't love the Lord. But you love the Lord. Is God laughing at us? Are his promises laughable? When we think like that, we express unholy laughter. It's so important for us to learn this hard path to Christ's coming and the continuing hard path of obedience and faithfulness to his second coming. It's still the struggle of faith. We're still called to live by faith, not by sight. What does sight tell us? Well, go to the, uh, go to the promised blessings, the beatitude in Matthew 5. Right? Because by appearances, none of this seems to work. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, by appearances, that's nonsense. Blessed are those who are aggressive and dominating and brutish and step on the other guy and they have uh, the, the more flourishing life on earth. Are we going to laugh at that beatitude? Or, or blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. But by appearances, it seems like those who mourn are the hurting and the downtrodden, and the beat up, and is God laughing at us? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, but the world, by the world's standard, uh, the meek guy's forgotten. He's pushed aside. It's the aggressive guy, the, the oppressive, the oppressor, the survival of the fittest who survives and make it in life. See, if we live by appearances, there's Abraham and Sarah. The promise will come to you, but we're old, and we're dried up, and it's biologically... Exactly! 
It's not biologically in the cards. It's not biologically possible. That's exactly where I want you. It's not a happenstance. Oops, somehow we got a baby. Well, funny things happen sometimes. No, when it's not possible, when it is ridiculous in your eyes, then you'll know it was by my word and my promise and my will that I did this miracle to bring forth coming of kingdom, the blessing and flourishing of your life, that it's from me. And you're called to believe what I say. And we are too. That part hasn't changed. Satan's tactic is always the same. Doubt God. Don't trust God. Question God. God's not on your side. God doesn't love you. God isn't for you. Or we want to give God help. What about an Ishmael? He's the way, right? He's the truth. He's the answer to make your promises so. He's my son. Abraham had laughed. Sarah laughs. But God's not laughing yet. I will surely come around this time next year and Sarah will have a son. And there they stand, these men at the tent, in person, reiterating face-to-face God's promises. And you say, well, that's what I need. I need a face-to-face. No, you know what God gives us? He gives us the sign and seal of sacraments. Hmm? You want to know I'm in your favor? That I favor you? That I love you? That I forgive you? I embrace you? I call you son and daughter? I'm for you? You bear the marks of washing away of your sins as water touched your body. You bear the marks of rebirth as baptism points you something visible to something you don't get to see with your eyes, but is even more true that the precious blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit brings new life and forgiveness and the washing away. You come here. It would be pretty crazy to put bread to your mouth and wine to your lips and then walk out of the building and go, hmm, though I still have some crumbs in my teeth and I can still taste wine on my tongue, I wonder if I really ate and drank that. That'd be crazy. I mean, that's just nuts. It's nuts not to then see those visible things and point, which point us to the invisible reality that Jesus bled and died for the forgiveness of all my sins. His body was broken. He was damned of God that I may be welcomed of God. That I'm God's child. He favors me. He loves me. He's for me even through trials. Look at Abraham and Sarah's trial. It isn't Hey, I'm going to give you a coasty life, Abram, Ur of the Chaldees. You're going to march out to a land and it's all just going to fold out for you. It's all going to be a breeze. It's all going to be easy and happy and there's going to be no obstacles and problems. 
and oh, it's just all just going to be life on cruise control. And because God loves and favors you, it, you're, you're, nothing's going to smart. And you don't even need to live by faith. You don't need to love God or trust Him or anything because it just. God's, you know, it's all health and wealth and happy and wise and swell and good and, and uh, live how you want. No. He tests them. He starts them out old and lets them get really old. And then he fulfills the promise when they could really be truly convinced it's from God. He tests us. He calls us to continual faithfulness and dependency upon him. Now, notice what happens. What happens is you got to jump ahead a couple of chapters, which I didn't read. But from unholy laughter, you get to holy laughter. In chapter 21, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abram in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abram circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham gave him the name Laughter. That's his name, Isaac. Now who's laughing? Now there's holy laughter. Now there's joyous laughter. Now there's promise fulfilled. Now, when God's promises look silly, don't laugh at them, but trust and see the fruition of blessing. You want to know what else seems laughable? And a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And he will rule the nations from peasant woman, nobody, Mary, he will rule the nations with an iron set. Are we going to laugh at that? Or is there joyous You want laughter? How about this holy laughter? Which goes all the way back in the Psalms we all so well know. Right? Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, throw off their fetters, but the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The contest between kingdom of woman and kingdom of the devil, the serpent, is in a matter of speaking no contest at all. For us it indeed is. For God, one little word fails him. For us it's a, it's a battle of faith to walk with God in trust, not by appearances, but by his promises. But for God himself, 
he laughs at the nations, the Putins and the Trumps and all the other people in between. We fret that all the nations with their world wars rule, but God punishes the nations with their world wars and calls them to himself. God calls us all to the Christ. And there's then joyous laughter of the virgin conceived and the Jesus born. There's joyous laughter as angels declare in heavenly army choir birth announcement <laughs> that Christ is here to nobody shepherds in nowheresville in the eyes of the world. But for God's promise, it's all he needs. There's holy laughter that Jesus comes and atones for our sins and he makes the nations his scorn. There's holy laughter that he sends the spirit to empower the church that's frightened and weak. There's holy laughter and that Jesus shall come again. And shouldn't there be joyous, holy laughter in the church that we're not our own but bought at a price? Shouldn't there be the holy, joyous laughter that he knows us and still loves us? He knows our sins and washes us clean. He knows us that we're straying and heart of heart and doubting and divided between two paths oh so very often and yet... He's the path for us. He lifts us and carries us and brings us home. He's our hope. He's our joy. Isn't there all the more for us all to be Isaac-like laughter upon laughter that God is faithful? Because that promise way back in paradise fallen is still true. And through the seed of Abraham, which is finally the seed Jesus Christ, there is blessing to all the nations of the earth. Ha! Our God has a sense of humor. He sees us fretting and doubting and chasing after things that don't matter and wondering and questioning, and it's so futile. Trust God. That's what Jesus did. Trust God. That's what Paul did. Trust God. That's what Sarah and Abraham the hard way had to learn. That's what we need to learn. What do you see in your life? There's always sins to be turned from. But what we should never do is turn from God's promises. We should never laugh at them. As if it's too hard for God. Uh, you can't trust God. Believe God. Walk with God. And then, guess who gets the last laugh? You know the, the old saying, he who laughs last, laughs best. God gets the last laugh. That kind of makes me smile. Amen. Gracious God, teach us to trust you this way. There's so much in life that disappoints. 
so much that makes us question. There's much that hurts. And yet we also have this promise from your word that you will wipe every tear from our eyes. Lord, we long for that day of your promise fully fulfilled. We see the hard path to Christ's coming in holy laughter. May we accept that hard path and give us holy laughter for Jesus' sake. Amen.